Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Today we're talking about God's gift of love. So Genesis chapter 9, verses 13 through 20, but I want to set it up a little bit, okay? Because it does skip over. We, we are going to skip over some of the text, and instead of reading it all, let me just kind of bring us up to speed. Jacob is sent by his mother to go find a woman, not from among the people whom they dwell, who are sinful people, but people, or not God's people, but um, to a la- the land where uh, they came from, which is Haran. So Jacob uh, heads out right, to find a wife. And as he arrives, just like um, uh, his father did, and he, he finds a woman almost immediately that God has brought. Her name is Rachel. She's a shepherdess. So she's a worker. She's demonstrating quality as well as uh, Sarah did. I mean, uh, Rebecca. Rachel is showing the same kind of qualities, hardworking, um, uh, a servant, servant's heart, and, and he sees her, and she is stunningly beautiful, right? You can imagine her walking through with all of these sheep, and, and he sees her and instantly falls in love with her. And uh, now, this is not love at first sight, as we would, like, think, right? This is somebody who Jacob has traveled a long distance for. I'm sure he's been talking to God and sharing with God exactly what he's looking for, and here, right away, God brings this woman uh, to him now, this is pretty awesome because the reason that all the people are gathering up is to water the sheep, and there's a lot of sheep. Have you ever seen sheep on the side of the hill here in Germany? Uh, because the the shepherds or the farmers bring them in to cut the grass, basically along the side of the road or a big field, and it, you know if they bring sheep in in a day, it's gone. Right? And so all of this eating makes the sheep very thirsty, so they come in, and they have this well. Now, to either protect the well or to keep people away from the well, they've put a stone over the well that is way too heavy for any one shepherd to lift off. But Jacob, so invigorated by his love for Rachel, I don't know if he's trying to show off for her. I think I get it kind of from the text that he's also trying to get rid of the other shepherds, right? Because he wants to, you know, talk to her, right? And he doesn't want them around. So he's like, just water your sheep and get on out of here is kind of what he says. And they're like, no, we have to wait for everybody to come and then we'll water the sheep. And so when everybody comes and here comes Rachel, Jacob by himself lifts the stone off the well, right? Now, I don't know what he's doing, right? Maybe he's just in a hurry, but maybe he's just like, I'm going to show her what a stud I am, right? And he lifts this up he pushes it off, and all the, all the sheep get watered. And this is where we pick up in verse 13. As he confesses to Rachel, oh, yeah, then he kisses her. We're guessing a k- greeting kiss, right? No tongue, just a, you know, hi, how you doing, okay? It's keeping it very legit, all right? And uh, then he cries in front of her, which I thought, interesting, interesting. I tried that. It didn't work with Stacy, But... Uh, um, Eventually it did, because she just got sick of me crying. I don't understand why he kissed her, and then he wept aloud, and she found this very attractive. And she goes and tells her brother, Laban, uh, what's going on. And so in verse 13, we pick up with this. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. 
And he stayed with them a month. Verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. This means, this doesn't mean her eyes were weak. This means that she was not as attractive as Rachel. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for the younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they, it's, they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. <sighs> Great story. He loves her. He loves her. And after the vision is given to Jacob, after the vows are made, he begins to serve Laban for Rachel. For seven years, all right? <laughs> now, I'm not going to ask how many guys would do that, right? I'm not going to ask that. That's a long time, seven years, right? Seven years to serve for her. And so what he does is he makes the vows and he starts working. He just starts working the fields. And there's an important lesson for us to learn here from Jacob. When God speaks to us, when he makes it very evident to us what we are to do, he brought Rachel right into his life. He knew exactly, as soon as he saw her, this is the woman God has brought into my life. He goes and he makes a vow and he promises to serve for seven years. You know what he starts doing? Serving. He starts doing it. This is so important for us because, you know, Yesterday at the men's breakfast, it was brought up, how do, we hear, how, do, you know, how do we hear from God? How do we hear from God? Well, there's a lot of ways we hear from God, and it's not always the voice of God, right? We, always, we don't, very rarely do we hear an audible voice from God. We hear from God through preaching, right? We hear from preaching, one amen. Thank you, Megan. One, we hear from preaching the word of God. We hear from mentors and our growth group leaders and those in our growth group. You know, we hear uh, from other Christians, more mature Christians, you know, uh, the way of God. Through reading the Bible, through prayer, through the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, we also hear the voice of the Lord and get direction. But sometimes the direction doesn't suit us. Sometimes what God is saying is not favorable to us, and so we ignore it. But when we pray and we ask God to give us direction, and he speaks and he answers through prayer or through Bible study or through our growth group leaders or whatever, and then we just say, then it's so important that we start doing it. See, because if we, if we hear from God but we never do it, I promise you, you'll never hear from God again. You'll never hear from God again because that's, God is a, he's not going to force it on you. He's not going to force it on you. And when you're obedient to the will of God, you're going to continue to hear more from God. I'm telling you, not only as your pastor, not only as your friend, but as a, somebody who's experienced this himself. If I ever delay in my obedience to God, I will not receive a fresh word from the Lord, a fresh direction, because I have ceased to obey him in, in what he's already told me to do. Church, when you pray and you ask God to open up a door at work, 
to help you with situations in your life, to give you peace and patience with your kids, whatever the situation is, it's important that once you pray about it and once God answers your prayer, that you begin to walk in obedience like Jacob did. He made a vow and he walked in obedience. What was seven years to him? It says here it was like nothing. It was like days. And why is it so difficult for these patriarchs to find love and have children? Because God wanted them to know. He wanted us to know that he is at work in these situations. That he is sovereign over this situation. He was sovereign over this, quote-unquote, chance meeting. But we know it wasn't a chance meeting. That God had um, her for him. Rachel was for Jacob. And there's something special here about their chance meeting. This mutual confirmation that they both have. Married couples, this is a gift from God. It's called mutual confirmation. When Stacy and I, when I was serving as executive pastor in the church I was serving at in the States before moving to Germany almost seven years ago, um, we were in a mission service, and we had a missionary named Ernie Peacock, who was a missionary to Guatemala, no, Guadalajara, Mexico, I really barely remember anything he's saying because the entire time I was actually wrestling with God over how much to increase my missions pledge. See, our church, uh, every family pledged X amount of dollars towards missions for the year, and we would do our best to raise that pledge and give it every year. So uh, I was really praying and asking God to increase my pledge, but I wanted it to be a godly amount. Okay, because I'm kind of an emotional guy and missionaries always when they would come would always pull my heartstrings and I would always just seem to give them everything. And I wanted to make sure I didn't overcommit myself so I could keep it. But I wanted a number from the Lord. And all month I've been praying and seeking God and just God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? And God just seemed so distant and silent on the entire subject until the last opportunity came. Ernie's preaching. I'm listening. The end of the sermon happens. Time to turn in the pledges. And I still have nothing from God. And I just start praying. And I'm like, God, would you please give me a number? If you, whatever you tell me, God, I'll do it. And I mean, I was thinking ridiculous, right? You know, 2,000 a month, 3,000. I mean, I was like, whatever it is, God, if you say it, I'll do it. And in that moment, it wasn't an audible voice. I'm sure I'm the only one that heard it. Right. Well, I wasn't. I'll tell you. I'll explain further in a second. But I felt God speak to me and said, "No amount has seemed like enough because now I want you to go." And in that moment, I knew my time as executive pastor of this church was over. That God was leading me in a brand new direction. See, God had answered my prayer. I said, "Do anything you want, God, and I'll do it." Maybe that's what God was waiting for, because the whole time before, I was thinking about money. I was just like, God, how much do you want? How much do you want? How much should I put? And when I said, finally, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. He said, no amount of seem like enough because now I want you to go. Now, it would be one thing for me to stand up and, you know, or basically lean over to my wife and tell her we're going. But that's not what happened. See, Stacy was sitting right next to me, and we're both praying the same prayer. And so I leaned over to her, and I whispered in her ear because she was in prayer. I said, I think God just told me where to go to the mission field, right, uh, or to overseas to serve. And I whispered that into her ear. She looked at me. She was actually praying, but she was actually crying too. 
because God had spoken the exact same thing to her in prayer. And this mutual confirmation made our way sure. Made our way absolutely sure. I went home that day. I called my senior pastor, who happened to be my father-in-law and mother-in-law, and I called them. And I said, uh, we need to meet with you after lunch. They were out with another family. And they, my mother-in-law was on the phone, and she said, God just called you to go, didn't he? And I said, yes. So they came over. We tendered our resignation that moment. And then, you know, obviously, we've been at that church 12 years. We had a lot of favor. There was no hurry. Uh, but we gave, basically, we had, like, instead of two weeks, we had about three months where we transitioned out of the church and just started this brand-new adventure of basically moving to a country that neither one of us had ever been to, ministering to people that we had never met, and coming here and starting this church. And that's how it all started. Mutual com- confirmation. This is awesome. But it requires a couple of things. One, both, couple, both people in the relationship have to have their hearts committed to the Lord. This is important because otherwise mutual, conver- con- mutual confirmation is near impossible. And this is why it's so important that in the entire book of Genesis so far, we see the example that Christians should not, or believers or God-fearing people should not marry or enter into a covenant relationship with non-believers. This is really important. Teenagers, listen to me. I don't care how cute they are. I don't care how cute they are. I don't care that they're funny. I don't care about any of that. If you enter into a covenant relationship with someone, and they are not of the same mind of Christ as you are, there's going to be conflict. And this mutual confirmation, this way forward, is going to be very, very difficult. Because if, you, if that was me and my wife wasn't a believer, she wouldn't care that I thought I heard from God. She wouldn't care, right? It's so important. But Jacob and Rachel, they knew instantly that God had answered their prayers. And they were both confident moving forward. So now we get to the weird part of this story. To say weird is an understatement. Skip with me to verse 20, or we're going to read the last, we're going to read verse 20 again and then continue on to verse 30. Verse 20 says this, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, but they seemed like days to him because of the love he had for her. Then verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, or go into the tent, consummate our relationship, for my time is completed. Verse 22. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Jacob gave, excuse me, Laban gave his female servant Zilpha, I'm just making that up, Zilpah, to his daughter Leah to be his servant. They have some really complicated names. Verse 25, And in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me, Laban said. It's not done in our country, Laban said. Give me the younger before, to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week with this one, and I will give you the other also for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So Jacob not only has two wives, they're sisters. They're sisters. 
Does this please God? No. Does this, is this an historical account? Yes. Laban is giving Jacob a little bit of his own medicine, isn't he? Right? I mean, do we remember, do we remember how Jacob stole the birthright from Esau by impersonating his brother, right? And here, Laban throws a feast. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but when we think of feast, we think of party, don't we? And when we think of party, a lot of us think of alcohol at the party. Now, maybe this wasn't it part of it, but perhaps it was, and kind of, because otherwise, how do you confuse one ugly woman for one beautiful woman, right? Beer goggles, right? I mean, that's how you do it. How do you do it? Well, again, I'm, in, I'm inferring this. This is not in the Bible. But let's just say this was the case, that the feast was a big, elaborate scheme to get rid of this other daughter that nobody wanted. Now, Leah, she's not innocent in this. She knew her part that she played. She could have said, no, I'm not going in there. This man is pledged or virtually already married to my sister. But she saw an opportunity, and she took it as well. If anybody's innocent in this entire story, it might be Rachel. But, I mean, how low down do you have to be, right? What good could Laban see in all this? Obviously, there was going to be a lot of hurt. Obviously, his actions were sinful. Obviously, this betrayal that he and Leah perpetrated on Jacob, regardless of Jacob's past, was unwarranted. But God's love is persistent. God's love is persistent. Love motivated Jacob to work for 14 years for Rachel. Now, fortunately, he didn't have to wait another seven for her, right? He basically gave the other daughter first and then served another seven years. But Laban's sin would not deter Jacob, and it would not deter God's plan. Because God's love is persistent. Aren't you glad that God's love is persistent? That in our sin and in our unrighteousness before becoming a Christian, that God didn't get impatient with us and quit on us and just strike us down dead? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. Maybe you think you don't deserve that. You never did anything deserving of that. Let me just burst your bubble and say, you're wrong. You're wrong. God is perfect and holy, and only perfect and holy can, be, can stand in his presence or be, kneel in his presence, or be in his presence. Perfect and holy. And perfectness and holiness and righteousness is only available to us as human beings in Christ Jesus. So if you think, if you have one shred of doubt in your mind that in, by some way you were, you, there was something redemptive about you, something lovable about you, something worthy of the perfect God of the universe loving you and giving his life for you before you became a Christian, you're wrong. You're wrong. And God is patient. He is persistent. Why doesn't he just strike evil people dead? Because he's patient and he's persistent. He wants them to come to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. He wants everyone to be saved. From Mother Teresa to Adolf Hitler, he wants everyone to be saved. That's God's heart. That's God's heart. Now, we like to think of ourselves more like Mother Teresa, but the truth is we're more like Adolf. We like to think that we're, we're, we're better than we are. Every one of us thinks this. But the Bible is clear. No one is righteous, not one. 
Not one. Not one of us without the blood of Jesus can stand before a holy God and claim we're innocent. We will face judgment. We will face judgment. But in his mercy and in his grace, God relents from our destruction, from from our instant judgment with a hope, with a, with a, with the uh, giving us every opportunity to come into a relationship with Him, because His love is persistent. And this great love of God, this great persistent love, motivated the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh, and endure suffering and shame, and lay down His life on Calvary, a very public declaration of His love. Everyone could see Jesus crucified. Everyone could see it. Many participated in it. But this public display of affection was the perfect sacrifice and perfect example of God's persistent, patient love. Now, if we've experienced this love today, if you say Jesus is Lord, right? Not that just you've decided Jesus lived and died, but Jesus is Lord with all of the implications thereof. What does that mean? To say Jesus is Lord means you never get to say no. You never get to say no to Jesus. You don't get to pick what you want to obey from his word. This is not a buffet. This ain't the chow hall, right? You don't get to pick what you want and leave the rest. It means you never get to say no if Jesus is Lord. And if that's you today, Jesus is Lord of your life, then the people around you should be able to see it. Because the love of God changes those who have received it. The Bible says that we are born again. It uses language elsewhere that describes our transformation. And this transformation is not just inward, but the inward transformation manifests itself outwardly. Right? So, this is where obedience comes from. James says, faith without works is dead. Basically, he's not saying that we're saved by our works. What he's saying is, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and he's Lord of your life, it's going to change the way you behave. It's going to change the way you act. You might not believe this about me, but I was the master of dropping the F-bomb. I mean, the master, right? Unparalleled. People, non-Christian people who work with me would say, hey man, you got to tone that down, right? But I want to tell you, after I got saved, after I became a Christian, that was gone. Like instantly, the next day, gone. Now, has everything been that way in my life? Has all sin been so easily eradicated? No. But for me, that was one of the things that God just did away with. He changed my speech, which was very noticeable to the people around me. He also changed my disposition, which if you think I'm not very sunny and friendly now, you should have known me before. Right? And uh, there was something noticeable about that. Now, maybe you're at work, and maybe, you know, you're doing life, and nobody knows you're a Christian. This ought not to be, because the inward work of Jesus Christ should be displayed outwardly, because if we really believe it, it's going to change our behavior. It motivates us. Every day, I live like that guy at the end of Saving Private Ryan. You know, he said, let me, let me be worthy of this sacrifice of all these guys dying to save him. Let me be worthy of this. Listen, if this doesn't rattle through your mind as a Christian, I 
question whether you understand the depths and the pain that Jesus suffered for you. Lord, let me be worthy of this salvation that I've received. Let me be worthy of it. Let me live my life. Let me be motivated by your sacrifice as I lay down my life for others. And lastly, the persistent love of God sustains us. For 14 years, Jacob's love for his wife sustained him through all of that labor, all of that work, his love. And our love and our relationship with Jesus Christ should sustain us in this walk with Jesus. Is it going to be tough? Yes. Are we going to face persecution? Yes. Are we going to suffer as a result of our faith? Yes. But the love of Jesus is better than all of it. Amen? Amen. Thirdly, God's love for the unlovable. We see in Leah God's love for the unlovable. She deceived Jacob, no doubt. She was, she was partners with her father in this deception. And it's, yeah, it, it is sad that, you know, it's because she was a little weak in the, you know, she was a little harder to look at that this is what happened, right? This is sad. I feel bad for her. But it still doesn't justify pretending to be your sister and sleeping with her husband, right? It does not justify that. I don't care how ugly you are. That is not cool, all right? So let's get to verse 31 through 35 and finish this up. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. But he did not. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. And again, she conceived and bore a son. And, and, and she said, this time my husband will be attracted to me because I have borne him three sons. And therefore, his name was called Levi. Each time, Jacob's disposition towards Leah does not change. And then in verse 35, we read this. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she ceased bearing children. She has a son. She thinks, okay, I have borne the heir. Surely Jacob will love me, does he? No, Another son, and then yet another. Jacob's disposition doesn't change. Finally, Leah gets it on the last son. That our love for one another is imperfect. It's imperfect. It will never be perfect. I don't care how much you love your children. I don't care how much you love your wife. Your love is but a shadow of God's love. It's but a shadow of it. Because your love has been corrupted by sin. And selfishness. The number one destroyer of marriages, hands down, selfishness. Now, there could be a lot of symptoms of that. Pornography, right? Adultery. There's a lot of symptoms of selfishness, but selfishness is the underlying reason that marriages, most marriages I've experienced fall apart. Okay? Not me personally, but that I've counseled people and, you know, spoken with people. It's selfishness. But here at the end, she gets it. God loves me perfectly. God loves me perfectly. He deserves the praise for this son and the previous three. He deserves the praise. He loves me. He has shown me unmerited favor or grace. I get it. See, church, we can get caught up with earning the affection of our spouse or loved ones. You can get caught up, teenagers, and 
and, and wanting to garner the affection of that cute boy or cute girl in school. But unless we're putting God first, we're setting ourselves up. And we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Because His love is perfect. And through His perfect love, we learn how to love other people. It brings everything into perspective. It brings what love is into perspective. It, I have no idea how to be a good husband, and I'm not very good at it. But believe me, I'm way better than my father was. And it's not because of his example or the example of somebody else. It's because if I love my wife as Christ loved the church, as I'm commanded to in the Bible, then I'm always going to be a better husband than my father was. Right? Because Jesus Christ is my standard. Jesus Christ is the way he loves the church. How, did, how much did he love the church? This much. Because we say, okay, how, you know, how much do you love me? This much. How much did Jesus love you? This much. Right? This much. A perfect love. He laid down his life. He didn't say, I'm tired, I don't want to do the dishes. He laid down his life, and he, did the, you know, he would do the dishes. He would do that. He would sacrifice. He would give until he couldn't give anymore. This love, this example, is the love that we're to follow. Now, we live in an affirmative culture, a culture that affirms everything. Oh, you know, you made a poopy in your diaper. Yay, poopy. You know, or you, you know, you got, you know, we set the standard, the bar so low in everything. I can't live with that. I, 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 maybe you can function that way. I can't function that way. There is a bar, and it doesn't get lowered so you don't have to try. The bar is Jesus Christ. If we call ourselves followers of, of Jesus Christ, that's who we're following. You're not following me. You're not following your growth group leader. Jesus is the bar. You may give more than the average people in the church financially. Whoop-de-doo. Who cares? You may go to everything when the doors open. I don't care. Every church event, you're there. Fine. The bar is death. Make no mistake about it. And I mean, this isn't easy to preach, and some of you may never come back because the bar is pretty high. Death. Death to yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it perfectly, really. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. This is the call of Jesus Christ. This is the price that must be paid. Death. Death. Church, there are so many in our midst today that have no idea that this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and it's very, very sad. We filled our churches up with flavorless salt, with people who know nothing of sacrifice or giving or generosity or sacrifice. Church, this is what we're called to do, lay down our lives for one another, to love one another with the love that Jesus has. And we are his hands and we are his feet, and we are his expression of love to the world today. How, if we were getting a grade on a report card, what grade would you give the church in this? I'm not talking about a once-a-year soup kitchen. I'm not talking about little projects we do. I'm talking about a way of life of sacrifice and giving and going and doing. We all fall short. But through his help and with his grace, we can do better, amen? We can love one another better. We can love our spouses better. We can love our kids better. We can love the church better, and we can love him better. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.